We are an intimate group this evening. I'm glad you're here. Because we're starting a new series. Did Ephesians, remember that last fall, those of you who were around? We did a little bit from Acts over the interim, and now we are plunging into the last bit of Genesis. We are going to be looking at the Joseph narrative that begins in Genesis 37. And uh, some of you know biblical history enough to know that Joseph doesn't just like spring up out of nowhere. There's Abraham, right? Remember that guy? Abraham had two sons. Their names were Ishmael and Isaac, right? So Abraham, Isaac. Isaac has sons, twins. Their names are? And, right, Jacob and Esau. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Yes, let's not forget. Yes. So that's how, we get, that's how we get to this point. We have Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael. They don't get along. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. They don't get along. Jacob has a whole bunch of sons. They don't get along. All right? That's where we land here, Genesis 37. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. You may find it helpful to keep it open. And it's found on page 30 in your pew Bibles, way up at the front, there. All right, you good? I know it's really easy to find, page 30. All right, so here we go. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph Being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zipporah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age. There are cool images on the screen should you want to look up to. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves, an ornamental robe of some kind. Uh, Lots of translators have kicked around a lot of dust trying to figure out what that means. It just means it was really nice. It was a good thing. That's all you really need to know. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, Joseph, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Yet another dream. And he told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bound down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you've had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow down to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. So how many of you come from families? Yes, right, exactly, good. That wasn't a trick question. That was well done. All right, how many of you have brothers or sisters or sibling units of some kind? Most of you. 
How many of you who have sibling units of some kind have at some point fought with this particular individual or group of individuals? Yes, yeah, everyone's like, yes, yes, we have, right? I'm the second of four. I learned how to fight well because I'm between two brothers, right? So, yes, right? So when we read this story about Jacob and you hear that he's a bit of a tattletale and dad likes him best and he's got these special dreams, you kind of read through and you think, this Joseph kid's kind of a twerp, (laughs) right? I mean, any of us who've ever been ratted out by one of our siblings to mom and dad, any one of us who's ever seen mom or dad take the wrong side in an argument, any of us who have ever fought over the remote or how much time you are taking in the bathroom or who gets the car tonight, all of us can see in this story that Joseph is a pain in the neck. He's the youngest one. There's Benjamin kind of behind, but he's still kind of cute and toddlery, so, you know, he's kind of out of the... So you got Joseph and all the everybody else is like old and you know, herding sheep and doing hard work, and then you got this little kid, like, kicking around. Joseph is the kid who gets his TV moved into his room when you go away to college, (laughs) right? Joseph is the kid who gets to eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast even though you had to eat oatmeal. Joseph is the one for whom your mom and dad just write out the check to the school for the school trip, and they don't make him go door-to-door selling magazines like you had to do. Right? That's Joseph. And Joseph is also emotionally clueless. He's just clueless. Right? We're told in the story about the emotions of the other people. His father loved him more than anybody else, and his brothers hated him. In fact, it says three times in these 11 verses that his brothers hated him. Verse 4, they hated him. Verse 5, they hated him even more. Verse 8, they hated him even more. They hated him. Joseph, though, was like clueless because he's been loved and coddled his whole life. And he thinks, this is the way life is. And so he doesn't have these dreams and think, huh, this would probably mess up some family dynamics. I'll just keep these to myself. (laughs) He goes out and he has these dreams and he just dumps them on people. I had this dream and you had sheep and I had a sheep and all your sheep's bad down to my sheep. (laughs) Oh, I had this other dream. I had this other dream. They were sun and stars and moon and they all bowed down to me. Emotionally clueless does not get what is going on. He doesn't get at all what's going on until his father rebukes him. What is this dream you've had? You really think that your mom and I, we're all going to bow down on the ground before you? And if this were a movie, we would see Jacob scold Joseph, and then we would see Jacob turn back toward his tent and kind of bumble along and think, oh, man, what is this Kid, I love this kid. Oh, he's such a troublemaker. And the dreams, I mean, whatever. What, a, what difference has a dream ever made? A... And then if this were a movie, we would have flashbacks. <laughs> we would have a flashback to a very young Jacob running away from his brother, fleeing into the wilderness, lying down on the ground with a rock for his pillow and having a dream 
angels ascending and descending on a ladder and the voice of God speaking him, telling him he was in a holy place. And then we would have another flashback to a little bit older Jacob who's married now and he's working for his uncle Laban who's a bit of a conniver himself. And Joseph has a dream about how he can breed his goats so that he will have more goats than his uncle Laban has goats. And then we'd have another flashback to Jacob and his wives and all of his children returning back to the land of his parents and the land of Esau and seeing two angels welcoming him back. And then we would have the last flashback of Jacob wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with an angel and receiving the name Israel. And then the camera would come back on the old, wizened Jacob who turns away from the door of his tent and starts to look at his son Joseph in a whole new way. His father kept the matter in mind. His father kept the matter in mind because it had been a long time since Bethel and it had been a long time since Peniel It had been a long time since Jacob had seen the face of God. They'd been really close at one point. God had really walked with Jacob through a lot of stuff, but it had been a long time since he had seen God show up in any kind of way. It had been a long time since God had made himself known. It had been a long time. And we kind of get that because we know what it's like to live and have seasons when we feel really close to God, like, like our prayers are just like right there and we're listening to God and it's happening and our devotional times are really animated and we feel like when we read scripture, it just speaks right to us. And when we worship, we're just right present in there and we just, we may have seasons like this. We may have go to a conference event or go to camp or have something where we just feel like God is in this place and I've experienced him. And then there are times that we move into seasons where it feels like God just gone somewhere. And if our life is relatively steady, you know, it's it's okay, we'll still keep worshiping and reading scripture and But if our life has any kind of bumps, and it feels like God's just gone, that's confusing and that's hurtful. Feels like God just drifted away. Jacob grew old and God grew away. And so, when his son begins to have these dreams, Jacob keeps the matter in mind, and we'd better too. Because God is not being obvious here. This isn't like the angel Gabriel coming and standing and giving you a message. This isn't the Damascus road and you're hit with the bright light and you're blind for three days. 
This isn't Bethel, where you have the vision and God speaks to you and he tells you exactly what's going on. This is two weird dreams about sheaves and stars. And there's no interpretation. It's not like God says to Joseph when he has the dream, this is what's going to happen many years in the future. This, not there. It's not that he says to Jacob, Jacob, do not fear for the dream that I have given to Joseph. Well, no, nothing. Just gets the dreams. Jacob kept the matter in mind. Like, what's going on here? And in this story here, the beginning in Genesis 37, God is a little bit like J.J. Abrams is to Lost. J.J. Abrams is the co-creator of the television series Lost. And if you've tracked Lost or have any awareness of Lost, you know that it began with a pretty simple premise. There are these bunch of people, they were in a plane, the plane crashes on an island, and we all think the show is going to be about like castaway and like catching fish and, you know, fire. And it turns out it's way more complicated than that because early on in the season, they're on this island supposedly in the South Pacific and they get charged by a polar bear. And it's like, what? And then they find out that they're not the only people on the island, there are the others. And then they find this hatch and there's a whole bunch of stuff with a hatch and then there's a smoke monster. Like, what is this? And so the new season of Lost just started and everybody who's ever watched it is all like clearing their schedules for when Lost is on because this is the final season and now they're finally going to realize what has been going on this whole time. And my hunch is that most of us would really like to know our final seasons. Because there has been stuff going on that we, like, what, a smoke monster? God, what? I don't. <laughs> and for you, you know, the polar bear charging down the thing may be like, I thought I was gonna get into the nursing program and now I'm not and I'm going to die. I thought I was gonna be an engineer, turns out I'm really bad at engineering, I'm going to die. I thought I was gonna do well in theater, I haven't even been cast in a play, I don't know what to do. And we get these big detour signs like, no, you thought it was gonna be like this, but it's not this way. Oh, I'm sorry, you thought that relationship was gonna go the distance? Nope, this way, over here, go that way. Jacob kept the matter in mind. Does that remind you of anybody? Someone else in the New Testament who was kind of reflective on events happening in her life, anybody? Right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, she pondered these things in her heart. When Jesus is born, when he goes to the temple, after he dies and he rises, she's in the picture she ponders these things in her heart. Jacob kept the matter in mind. Mary pondered these things in her heart. And both of those moves feel really passive. You know, it's like, 
Jacob, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you ask him, like, hello? Got a question about the dreams? Hello? Right? Mary, why don't you ask, like, could you send Gabriel back? Because that was helpful when he was... So it feels really passive to say, Jacob kept the matter in mind. Mary pondered these things in her heart. But the truth of the matter is, what we have here is a move into humility and a move toward surrender. It says, I am not in charge of this story. God is up to something. I don't know what it is. I don't know where we're going. I got a polar bear and a smoke monster and weird dreams and who knows, but God is up to something. And our response so often is like, what are you up to? I want to go that way. I don't want to go that I want to go that way. Would you just clear the way rather than putting up the detour sign? I want to go that way. Hello, I want to go that way. I want to go. Right? And that's what God has to finally do. Like, hello. And then we're like, oh, oh, this is nice. <laughs> right? So what we see here very early on in the book of Genesis is that God is hidden. God is unseen. God is behind the scenes. He is up to something. And Jacob is paying attention. Because Jacob has learned that dreams are signposts from God, that there is something that's going to be happening here, and he's not going to miss it. And it's so tempting with the detours to come, to fight back, to resist. I don't want to go this way. This isn't good for me. And what we need to do instead is take the move of humility and the move of surrender and keep the matter in mind and ponder these things in your heart and remember that you are not the author of this story. Someone else is writing your story and it's part of the grand narrative that began way back when that book began and will continue on through the end of time and your little thread in this story is important and it matters and it's not up to you. God is up to something. And if you fight him, and if you're angry, and if you resist, the odds are really good you're not going to keep the matter in mind. You are not going to be pondering things in your heart. You are not going to be paying attention, and you're going to miss it. You're going to be like 87 years old, and you're going to be in Raybrook across the street, and suddenly you're going to look back on your life and go, oh, oh. And there are going to be those moments anyway, but wouldn't you rather have them like a little closer to when the events actually occur? To create in your soul a receptivity to the agency of God and what he is doing and not doing, and then the times when he is absent and hidden and sending weird things, can you just keep the matter in mind and trust that God is up to something.
Mary pondered these things in her heart. And then she went to bring this little baby to the temple, and Simeon came to her, and he said, a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. And then she went back to the temple years later with her husband and their son, and they lost them. And then he said to her, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And she pondered that in her heart, and she took that up in her. And then when she's standing there before the cross, watching his blood drip down, she had to be thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This was not the narrative. I was supposed to have the son of the most high God, not a crucified criminal. And then we are told that when they gathered together after the resurrection and they were telling stories about what had happened and they had seen Jesus, they had seen the Lord and he was alive. Do you know where Mary was? She was right there. She was right there in the middle of it and I'll bet she still didn't quite get everything that was going on but she was pondering things in her heart and she was paying attention and she was looking for that final season. She was looking for that end times. She was looking for the promise to be fulfilled. Because God has said that in the end of time, when Jesus comes back, there will be no more sadness or sorrow or mourning or pain. For all those things will have passed away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will say that this is my dwelling place right here with these people, no longer hidden, no longer far away, but these are my people, and I am their God, and we will dwell together. God is up to something. You pray with me. Our God, we give you praise because you know how all of these mysterious elements of our lives are going to work together for our salvation and for your glory. And so help us in the times when you seem absent or hidden or giving us odd signals. Help us to pay attention. Help us to keep these things in mind, to ponder these things in our hearts, to make a movement of surrender and humility, to stop holding tightly to the things that you are gently inviting us to let go of. Lord, we may run into detours, but we pray that when we do, we will turn and follow you. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing some songs of surrender and humility and dedication. And you're invited at any point, if you want, if you choose to, to come forward and simply kneel here. You're invited to spread back to the bays if you want, if you need a little space, if there's something that God is inviting you to lay down and you, the physical posture would be helpful to you, just come forward, lay it down.